Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey, folks, before we get into the episode, I do want to remind everybody that we have Talking Metal t-shirts for sale, sizes medium through 3XL. Sold out my first uh, printing and went back and had another run made. And now that run is pretty much (laughs) entirely sitting in my basement. Uh, So I'm hoping we can sell a few more of these, guys. I'd love to to move some of these. They're 20 bucks each. You can hit me up through PayPal. Uh, My PayPal is connected with my email, which is striegelmark at gmail.com. That's S-T-R-I-G-L. M-A-R-K at gmail.com. That's the uh, that's the PayPal account, too. So just use that when you send me money. Send me 20 bucks. Let me know your address and your shirt size, and I will mail those out to you. I am all out of smalls. I didn't have those reprinted since no one really bought the first run. Um, I ended up giving a couple small sizes away. But I do have mediums through 3XL. Talking Metal t-shirts, high-quality t-shirts, and uh, the same ones that you've seen Udo Dirkschneider wearing on Instagram, as well as Dan Lorenzo, and I've given them out to a bunch of other people, but haven't seen them wearing them in public yet. Uh, So that's where we're at, selling t-shirts. I'd love it if you bought one. Again, it's uh, the PayPal is striegelmark at gmail.com, S-T-R-I-G-L-M-A-R-K, and they're 20 bucks each. All right, hit me up. Let's sell a few more of these. Thanks, guys. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Here's an old classic that sounds just as good today as it did when we were kids.
All right, welcome, guys. We have a great episode. Pete Agnew from Nazareth. Mick Box from Uriah Heep. A guy named Lance King, great vocalist, uh, putting out some great music. And a former member of ACDC, coming right up. Who Made Who by ACDC off of the Who Made Who album, which was a soundtrack album that included a lot of the the big hits. You Shook Me All Night Long was on there. Uh, Hell's Bells. Even though that came out right after Fly on the Wall, they included two songs off of that album, Sink the Pink and Shake Your Foundations. So it's it's interesting. You really have two ACDC records in a row that had Sink, Sink the Pink and Shake Your Foundations on them. Uh, a couple instrumental tracks, and For Those About to Rock was also on that. And of course, Who Made Who was the uh, movie soundtrack for a film called Maximum Overdrive, which was uh, Stephen King's movie. Stephen King, one of my all-time favorite authors, author of the the Dark Tower series, which is like seven epic books that, you know, when you think of Stephen King, everyone's like, oh, Carrie and The Shining and It. Man, the Dark Tower series is something that really tripped me out more than any book I've ever read. And I related a lot of stuff in that book to my life those seven books, I should say, to my life, because a lot of it took place in, on, you know, in the Turtle Bay area of Manhattan, where I, I lived for a long time. And I, it was very, very interesting. There was numerous things throughout that, um, that series that really spoke to me on a kind of a, a weird, emotional and real level, even though it's completely fiction, but definitely one of them. The, the movie was terrible. I went and saw it last year with, uh, what's that guy's name? Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, the movie was terrible. Don't see the movie. Really, the books are a totally different thing, but Stephen King, yeah. And depending on your political views, you may or may not want to follow Stephen King on Twitter. He's become very vocal in politics. And listen, I have political views. Sometimes they slip out here. But I do try to shut up because I know a lot of a lot of us disagree, a lot of us don't agree, and we are brothers in hard rock and heavy metal and sisters for the few females out there listening. And yeah, I'm just gonna shut up, you know. Let's uh, put all that stuff aside and rock together here on the Talking Metal podcast. Let's get right into our first interview with Simon Wright legendary drummer who played on that track, Who Made Who, by ACDC, and one of my favorite ACDC albums, Fly on the Wall. He was also on the Blow Up Your Video album, which is the album that brought back George Young. Now, George Young is the other brother, I, I know the Young family, I believe there was numerous brothers and sisters, but George Young had uh, produced some of that early ACDC stuff before Mutt Lang was in the picture. And Mutt Lang, I believe, started on, I want to say, Highway to Hell. But uh, yeah, George Young was one of the producers on all those great early records, Dirty Deeds and High Voltage and all that stuff. And he had a band 
way back in the like mid sixties called the easy beats who had numerous hits, including I think a, like a number one hit in the States with Friday on my mind. You know, if you Google that Friday on my mind by the easy beats, you will, uh, you will definitely recognize it if you're over the age of 40. And <clears throat> that was a number one hit in America, I believe in 1966. So that was the easy beats featuring George Young brother to Malcolm and Angus, who was definitely a big part in ACDC's sound, I want to say, because he was one of the producers, right? And so they they brought him back after doing some stuff with Mutt Lang, and I believe, I want to say Fly in the Wall, I should pull this up on on Wikipedia, was, I believe Fly in the Wall was self-produced, right? Yeah, Angus and Malcolm produced that on their own, and then Blow Up Your Video, they brought back George Young and um, Harry Venda. who is also a member of the Easy Beats. So let's uh, let's get into this right now. My interview with Simon Wright, legendary drummer. And there's been a few shows I've seen through the years that have just meant so much to me that he's been a part of, including the first time I saw ACDC on the Fly on the Wall tour, the last time I ever saw Dio. Of course, I saw, really the last time I saw Dio was with Heaven and Hell, but the band Dio. The last time I saw them was with Simon Wright on drums. So this guy's really meant a lot to me throughout my life, and it was an honor to talk to him for the first time ever here on Talking Metal. Let's let's uh, take a listen to this chat right now. All right, guys. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and what an honor for the first time ever I am speaking with on the phone a, a drummer that really means a lot to me because when I think of all the hundreds of concerts I've seen, there's there's two that are definitely top 10 for me that that you, Mr. Simon Wright, were playing drums on. And I want to talk to you about those those two concerts. But so great to talk with you, Simon. Thank you for joining me. Sure, Mark. How are you doing? You okay? I'm good. I'm good. I I, I want to tell you about two uh, very special concerts that you played at that uh, I, I truly enjoyed and were two of my favorite concerts ever. But first, let's talk about what you have coming up with the Let There Be Rock ACDC orchestrated um, concerts that you're doing. It, it's starting in Australia, and then you're going to do one in Los Angeles also on January 19th, which uh, the lineup for that show just sounds amazing. But let's talk about what you're doing here. Obviously, you've played with ACDC in some really crucial, important years in the ACDC history back in the 80s, and now you are revisiting your your ACDC uh Roots, I guess I'd call it, with this cool orchestrated concert. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening with this? Yeah, it's um, it was put together by a friend of mine, James Morley. He used to be the bass player in a band, uh, Australian band called the Angels, and he approached me about doing it, and I thought, what a fantastic idea! You know, it's never really been done before. Yeah, um, I, I've never played with an orchestra before, so that should be interesting. But um, yeah, it's it's a great lineup. Um, like you're saying, it starts in Australia, November 30th. Then we got the first, the sixth, and the seventh. And um, Ripper Owens is going to be on vocals as well as uh, Cynthia Galley, um, Steve Balby from Noiseworks, uh, Joel McDonald, Paul Christie, um, all uh, revered Australian musicians and stuff. Cool. So it, it just seems like it's going to be a bit of a, a spectacular. So. Um, I'm glad to be involved with it, you know. It should, it should be really cool. 
Yeah. You know? I mean... And then, um, uh, um, and then we got on, you know, January 19th, it, there's a show in Los Angeles here, um, that they put together at the Belasco theater. And there's a whole, uh, that, that's a whole other band. It's Richard Fortis from Guns N' Roses, uh, Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick, right. Ripper Owens again. Michael uh, Devin, you got on bass, right? Yep, Michael's going to be there, which is yeah. going to be awesome. Gilby Clark. Wow. Uh, Doug Rappaport from Edgar Winter. I mean, quite a show. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. So all these guys plus a, th- a full orchestra, right? Yeah, plus a 30-piece orchestra. <laughs> wow. Wow. It be quite quite a quite an event <laughs> yeah i mean it yeah. sounds incredible you have an incredible lineup for this and so much uh, incredible music from the band acdc which uh, as i mentioned one of my favorite concerts of all time was september 21st 1985 at the rosemont horizon it was the first time and the best time i ever saw acdc perform live just it just such incredible memories of that night. You were on drums. It was the uh, the Fly on the Wall album you were you were doing at that time. And you, let's yeah. go back to your history with that band. You joined. Did you join for the Flick of the Switch tour? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I joined up for that album. I didn't play on the album, but right. Uh, sometimes p- people think I did, but I, that was Phil Rudd. But I joined up for that tour. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, we uh, it, it it all started from there, really. Yeah, and there's rumors that they had auditioned like 300 people at that time. Does that is that true? I mean, what do you remember about your audition for ACDC? Well, I, I heard, I did hear they they auditioned a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, but my audition came through an advertisement in a music paper called Sounds. Wow! In the um, musicians wanted column, and uh, I got coerced into answering it. I wasn't really that interested or bothered at the time, but I did. So, yeah, I I'll try and make the story short. I go down there and uh, I audition with the drum tr- drum tech. It's like three songs. I played them. He said, "That's cool. That's good. Uh, we'll give you a call." And I thought, "Oh, okay, right." Um, and then the phone rang a couple hours later, and it was right. him. And he said, "Can you come down tomorrow?" And I said, "No, I haven't got any money." <laughs> and uh, he said, well, don't worry about that. Just get yourself in a cab and come down here. So I did that. I meet him in the lobby. I, he starts to walk me down this corridor and there's drum cases with ACDC on them. And I tapped him on the shoulder and says, you're kidding, right? And he just gave me this big smile and he said, nope. <laughs> so wow. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. What? You know? So uh, anyway, I go in and meet them and stuff. And they're all really cool and just really down to earth and we got to play in. They asked me what songs I know, you know, I know a few. So, and then we stopped playing and sat down for a bit and they started talking about, you know, touring and schedule and stuff like this. And I leaned over and I said, does this mean I'm in the band? Wow. And, uh, I think it was Mal leaned over and said, yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it? You know, so. <laughs> and you're a 20 year old kid. And I mean, that, you're, you're just a, you're just a youngster really. Yeah, I was about 18 and a half, actually. Really? Wow. Really okay. Young. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so young, I mean, it was ridiculous, you know. They they were all like my, my uncles, you know, in, in retrospect, looking like, you know. It's was, it was like, uh, yeah, and then, you know, my whole life changed and stuff started happening. I couldn't wait to get out of there to tell my family what just happened, you know. It was like, <laughs> so, yeah, 
and then there's a lot of touring and a lot of hard work and stuff and all and your routine changes but um yeah wow i got lucky yeah life altering huh what made them choose you out of like so many drummers i mean let's say they did audition hundreds oh. of drummers which is what's reported why 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 you obviously you're a great drummer but uh, i mean there must have been numerous things that stuck out I, about you i don't know i never asked them we just got to got to playing you know i mean i never really asked that question yeah I, it was just uh i don't know i don't you'd have to ask them that i mean you know, uh, I, I really don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure there were some other good drummers in there, in that 300 or 500 or whatever it was, but I don't know. Yeah. Right on. And you went on to record with them. One one of my really favorite ACDC records, Fly in the Wall, that I feel is really overlooked at, at this point in history but there was so much good stuff on that record sink the pink i i mean to me that's one an acdc classic that i wish they would still play in concert but but they don't um shake the foundations was on that record first blood was a, a great one too there's so many great tracks on that record what do you remember about going into the studio to uh, record that record with those guys Oh, yeah, it, it was a little overwhelming. We were in Switzerland for a start, in, in Montreux, uh, where they, you know, deep purple smoke on the water happened and the casino burning down. It was all a bit surreal, to be honest with you. But uh, we, we, we we eventually got comfortable and started bashing down tracks and, you know, going over things and um, fine-tuning things. Um, it, it was a great time. You know, it was um, it, it wasn't a pressured kind of time the, the way they work is kind of relaxed and just getting on with things you know um and it, it, it was great we're in this huge we were in a part of the casino which was a recording studio as well and it was a huge round building um and the drums sounded massive in there you know it was it was, it was a great time you know you know it's a funny thing the album flying the wall i get a lot of people that talk to me about it and say it's kind of like been overlooked and stuff and I, I think when it did come out it was the kind of the climate at the time right you know acdc had had, had had back in black and for those about to rock which were massive albums and i really honestly don't think that you can keep up that you know and keep those albums like that coming out and stuff and and two grunge was rearing its head too not there's anything wrong with that you know right. but i think the music climate was changing um i mean it, you know, the shows that we did on that tour, I mean, they were still selling out and doing really good. And we we were just getting on with things uh, the way that the band did things, you know. Um, but I think it, it was difficult to keep that momentum up, you know, with such massive selling albums and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. But uh, it did in the end. I think a lot of people came around to that album and have a, a you know, a, a liking for it. Oh, it's absolutely. A, a bit different sound. It's a little bit different sounding too, I think, which, um, it, you know, the production changed. It wasn't Mutt Lang anymore. So, but I don't know. I think it's a good album. Oh, great record. And I mean, I remember the, the music videos. Do you remember shooting those with the girl in the, in the pool hall? Yeah, that, that, that was in New York. Yeah. That was, was it? um, that, that was a, yeah, that was a good time. We did, um, I think, was it shake the foundations that 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 was under the brooklyn bridge we did that so yeah there was one for yeah, sink the pink you know, i think too and i think fly on the wall if, I, if i'm not mistaken 
Yeah, yeah. It was all like I said earlier. It was a bit surreal. You're going, wow, what the hell am I doing here? You know, right? <laughs> Great stuff. And then Young kid. after that, there was the Who Made Who record, which was kind of uh, a. Um, I guess I'd call it like greatest hits record in a way, but there were some new songs on there, a couple instrumental songs, and also the the title track, Who Made Who, which was a massive hit for the band. What do you remember specifically about that song? I'm guessing that was there were sessions booked to record that song and, and the two instrumental songs? Yeah, we did that, and they booked the studio in the Bahamas, Compass Point, okay. um, which where they did Summer Back and Black. I guess, um, if not all of it, I'm not sure, but they'd been there before anyway. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, again, it was, uh, down to business and stuff. And, um, it, 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 I, I thought it was great. That song it had a, you know, a great rhythm, good feel and stuff and a catchy chorus. It was pretty cool. Um, but with this, the tracks with, for the movie that were the kind of the instrumental things that that was a little weird they put tvs up in the studio and stuff to play oh, to okay wow yeah it was just you know and angus would be you know he would do some blues licks and stuff which were awesome you know um but it, it was kind of a jumbled up album i was hoping that we could have done uh you know just a, a normal album without anything to do with uh you know a movie and right. stuff but that wasn't my call there were a lot of things in that band that weren't my call so you know i just went along with it right but on. um yeah yeah that's kind of my my memories you know and as for the movie well i'm not sure about that one <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> but, definitely you know, some great cult, music not cult, such a great movie yeah kind of a cult classic i guess you'd, you'd get away with calling it <laughs> Absolutely. And then yeah. you keep recording and, and touring with the band, but we jump ahead a little bit now to the 19, uh, I guess it's 1990, you uh, leave ACDC and join up with, with Dio, correct? Yeah, yeah, it was about 1990, yeah. And why do you why do you leave ACDC? Was, were you just looking for something different at that point? Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, it's um, it sounds a little crazy, but I'd, I'd really lost my... Uh, you know, my enthusiasm for things and stuff, um, you know, and you, you can't really be like that in a band like that. You got to give 110%. And it was just my enthusiasm that I'd become a bit sort of complacent and stuff. And it wasn't fair on them or on, it was definitely wasn't fair on, uh, on the fans and stuff, the people coming to the shows. So I started thinking I got to, get you know i gotta move on here and uh, luckily enough through a friend of a friend of a friend or whatever i managed to you know meet up with ronnie and stuff and um we did some rehearsals it was mainly for the for the uh new album that he had going on called lock up the wolves yeah um because it was straight into recording basically before we did any shows um and we did that and it you know it kind of worked out I mean, i'd met ronnie a couple of times um in the past before that and i thought he was such a clever funny intelligent guy um and i'd love to sing you know obviously with sabbath and rainbow and obviously his own stuff and everything and uh you know it just it just kind of worked out and stuff you know so um yeah it was a great time and and you were i guess uh, there was a couple different stints with 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 ronnie but you really uh ended his solo career 
because uh, after Master of the Moon, of course, he went on to do Heaven and Hell for for a few years. But I got to tell you, I saw you guys. This is the other concert I wanted to mention that was just such an important night for for me and my wife. We weren't married yet at the time, but uh, we were on a date at the Beacon Theater in New York City, February 10th, 2004. The last time I saw Ronnie James Dio perform uh, as Dio, and you were a part of that night. What what a what memories do you have of that final Dio tour for for Master of the Moon? I mean, it was a great lineup. You had Craig and and Rudy and and Ronnie. Any memories you could share? Yeah, it was a great lineup. We were we were getting along great. Um, you know, everything was was everything was good, and the band we would it was just we'd gotten we'd been playing so many shows that it was we were all just kind of throwing stuff in it was just so comfortable you know when we were playing the shows and yeah it it was a great great tour all, all the tours were great with Ronnie you know it it really was like that um i think our last show like that we did with him was in spain um wow. in bilbao and um we opened up for kiss uh yeah and we we kind of crammed on this stage surrounded by all this pyro and you know risers and stuff like this yeah <laughs> it's a bit kind of strange you know and uh but we we did great obviously you know we, spain's a great uh country for for metal and stuff and rock and uh it was a great festival and stuff um but yeah i mean it was it was such a, a tight band you know i mean uh with Rudy came in and stuff. Um, yeah, it was just a great time. Awesome. And did Ronnie come to you towards the end of that tour or at some point and say, Hey, I'm going to be going back to work with, with Tony Iommi and, and geezer for, you know, a while. Like how did things, how did you guys leave things off at the end of that tour? Oh no, everything was fine. You know, it, it kind of runs its course every tour. You know, and you 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 you've been on the road so long, you want to you want to go home to your dog, your cat, your girlfriend, your wife, or whatever. And that's just basically what we did. Um, and you know, it, it it was just something that it wasn't like because he never really um, finished Dio. He never said, "Oh, that's the end of Dio. I'm going to go play with Heaven and Hell." It wasn't like that. He was always he would he would he was there was all he was always going to come back to the to Dio, his right. band. You know, that's yep. the thing that he he told me he really loves uh, doing, and he wants to do it with me and Rudy and Craig. Or you know, he wants to do that, um, and that was just he just went and did his thing. You know. Um, and I think while he was doing that, I was do I managed to hook up with Jeff Tate and we did the Queensryche or Jeff Tate Queensryche thing too. Right. So I was busy doing that, and Rudy obviously had other things going on and stuff like that. So it was all the, you know the best for the best, really. It, that's just how it works out, you know. Um, when it, I do remember uh, two thousand. Oh, what was it? 2009. At the end of 2009, he'd, he'd kind of run his course again with with Heaven and Hell. Yeah. Um, and we were going to be. We had a tour planned, an English tour, um, for Dio, and we rehearsed and stuff. We had a great new kind of set list and stuff. But unfortunately, uh, that's when he found out about how sick he was. Yeah. So that tour never, uh, never uh, came to be. But, wow. Uh, 
Yeah, and he had great plans too. Obviously, you know, it's been well written that he had obviously great plans for Magica 2 and Magica 3. Um, so, you know, with lots of staging and effects and maybe even a hologram involved in it, it was uh, remarkable, you know, the way his, his, his mind would think. He, he just had such a creative mind. But that again, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Wow, so you mentioned that before he passed away, that he was he was talking about a, using a hologram of some sort. He was talking about a lot of things. Wow. Um, you know, um, he he thought he'd looked into it back on the Sacred Heart tour. I mean, it's um, right. You know, um, it's something that uh, that was always kind of uh, um, in the back of his mind. You know. So was so it, it, he, it? He wanted really to was. like do creatures as holograms, or like what was he looking to do the uh, for like a potential uh, Magica two or three tour? What was uh, he? Well, he wasn't specific. He, he just wanted to you know put it out as a big production show. Wow! Cool. Um, when it did go out, because he was still in the writing stages of Magica and stuff, and he got three or four tracks demoed and stuff. Uh, but you know, it was just it was just talk and and excitement about. The, the future so to speak you know even as sick as he was you know he was still uh you know a driving force so yeah nothing specific right i got you right on we were talking with simon wright the drummer who's given us so much great music through the years acdc dio ufo jeff tate and and so many more Rip, ripper owens you worked with um, let's uh, let's jump into the modern day right now. I'm really loving this Dream Child record, Until Death Do We Meet Again, and that kind of ties into Master of the Moon because it's that same lineup I saw on that on that tour. Um, it, really great stuff. How uh, how did uh, you get involved with this? Did Craig reach out to you? Did you guys work on the songs together? Like, can you fill us in on a little of the behind the scenes with Dream Child? Oh uh, yeah, that's what happened. Craig got in, in touch with me about doing it, and he he told me his idea, and I said, "Sure, that sounds great. I love playing with Rudy. You know, Rudy is just rock solid, you know, and he's such a, you know, he's a good friend. I, I love hanging out with him. Um, so that it just seemed like a no-brainer to me. And then Craig sent me the, the music and stuff, and uh, we changed some stuff around, and it was he he'd done it all with a drum machine. Uh, so I put my input into it, and it came out the way it did. And uh, yeah, I, th I think it turned out pretty good. And you know, with uh, uh, Craig found um, Diego Diego Valdez, um, he'd been in touch with him for quite a long time. You know, um, and it, the the timing was right. And Diego's such a monster of a vocalist. Um, you know, and then bringing in Wayne as well on guitar and keyboards and stuff. And uh, you know, it, it it just seemed to make sense at the time, you know, and it's it we've done it, and it it did come out pretty good. It sounds okay, I think, you know. Yeah, I thought it, it turned out really like good. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I hope hopefully we can get out there and tour it and do some shows with it. Uh, we're not sure yet. We've we've all got other projects going on at the moment, and to put another one on top of what we're all already doing, it uh, <laughs> we got to figure it out, you know. But I'm sure we will at some point. Very cool. And Dio Disciples, there was some reporting that... Uh, I, actually, I think Craig Goldie told me when I spoke with him a month or two ago that uh, 
you guys were doing some work with Jeff Pilson producing and possibly working on some Dio Disciples original new music. Is that still happening? Yeah, yeah that's still happening. It's probably going to be sometime next year uh, when we get in the studio um, and start getting down to this. Um, because like I said, we've all, we all have so many other projects going on that... Um, which I think a lot of musicians do these days anyway, just to keep, keep the roof on, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, hopefully next year, Craig's got some great ideas. We all do. Um, so it's, it's going to be, uh, something special, you know, and all, and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it's probably going to be good. Okay. Awesome. I'm sure it will be with the, the people involved in it. It sounds like it could be, Amazing, as I thought the Dream Child stuff was. And again, you're doing this really cool thing, Let There Be Rock, with these all-star lineups. Uh, and specifically in Los Angeles on January 19th, you are going to have just an incredible lineup. You mentioned Richard Fortas of Guns N' Roses, uh, Whit Crane of U- U- Ugly Kid Joe fame, Gilby Clark, Michael Devon of Whitesnake. Uh, I mean, this is just an amazing lineup along with a 30-piece orchestra playing the ACDC classics. Will you do you think you can get a song off of uh, f- uh you know, Fly in the Wall in the set list for that? Um I don't think so. No, okay. <laughs> okay. No, only only because it's such a long show and there's right. so many I don't want to say bigger hits, but yes, I well, don't there is. Know yeah. If we can, uh, yeah, we might have to talk about that one, but okay. I doubt it because there's so many other stuff going on, um, and it is digging a little bit if you do one of those. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We, we uh, there's still time to figure that one out. Very good. And <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to add, too, they just added uh, Doug Aldridge to the Belasco Theater as well, which is very cool. I played oh, with nice. Doug and Dio and stuff. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Should be great. Should be good. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. And any other musical things you have going on you want to you wanna tell us about? Uh, no, that's, a, that's, <laughs> no that, that's about it. That's about it. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Well, that's a lot. So, yeah, <laughs> it'd be hard to yeah, have anything I'm else sure. going on. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure I do. I just can't think of it at the moment. <laughs> no, it's um, it's good to be working. I'm blessed. You know, it's all going okay at the moment. So it's, it's all good. Very good. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the great music through the years. Like I said, uh, that uh, that ACDC concert in 1985 still remains one of the uh, highlights of my my concerts uh, that I've seen through the years. And man, I remember those cannons when they came out and just smelling. You could smell the gunpowder in the arena. Which now, when they do it, um, Simon, they they're they're like fake cannons. You know, they kind of, and they don't they they're not nearly as loud anymore. And and it, they seem to not have real gunpowder in them but those are like real cannons back then right <laughs> yeah yeah they were they were full of wadding and stuff and um somebody decided it changed a little bit they put the cannons pointing in the pointing towards the middle of the stage or or slightly more to the middle and every time they 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 they'd fire off all this wadding would come out you know it'd be all over the drum kit and stuff right. and <laughs> i'm like what the, what's all this crap you know <laughs> but uh yeah, it was um, great shows, that's for sure, absolutely. 
Yeah, people love them cannons. So do I. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, Simon, thank you so much for uh, doing this early morning interview with us on Talking Metal, and best of luck with everything you're up to. Thank you, Mark. It was nice talking with, with you. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Okay. You take care now. You too. Thanks a lot. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
great song right there. Shake Your Foundations by ACDC. Big thanks to Simon Wright for joining us here. It sounds like he's got some really cool stuff coming up. What a busy guy. Right now, let's check out a song called Tattooed on My Brain by the legendary band Nazareth. This is a new song by them. And after we hear this song, we will hear from Pete Agnew from Nazareth, uh, original member of the band, a current member of the band. Again, really, wow, talking with some legendary guys today. So here we go, Tattooed on My Brain by Nazareth. This is he, is that you, Mark? Yes, it is. So great to speak with you. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure. Cool. Likewise. All right. So um, wh- wh- where, where are you actually calling from? <laughs> I'm in uh, New Jersey in the United States. Yeah, okay, I know yeah. that. I know where that is. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I never know. You see, with the <clears throat> with the, with these things coming on these Skype things, it used to be, you know, you could see the area code coming up with the numbers, but of course you don't see that anymore. Yeah, so that's true. I don't know where anybody is. You can, the last guy I thought was in America, and he was phoning from Calgary, you know. So. Okay, well, where are you today? <laughs> I'm Scotland. Scotland, uh, yeah. Just, so I'm very, very, very close, well, Edinburgh, really. That's very close to Edinburgh. Oh, nice. My mom was 
she just got back from Scotland. She was there for 10 days hiking through the gorgeous scenery you guys have over there. Was she? Yeah. Oh, well, she, yeah. yeah good for yeah. her. Well, she'd been getting no bad weather then. She'd been lucky. Yeah, so, there was a little yeah. rain, I guess, but she uh, oh, she also had Scotland, some... Scotland, <laughs> <laughs> Behave yeah. yourself. Yeah. Scotland. <laughs> Well, it's so great to talk with you, and it was also so great to get this link to the brand new Nazareth record, which is coming out on October 12th. And the first, uh, well, the first thing I did actually was I played the video for Tattoo on My Brain, which oh, is the, the title track, and it is fantastic. I'm not just saying that because I have you on the line. I love this song, and I, it, it isn't what I was expecting. Um, you know, and we'll talk about the rest of the record because it's quite a diverse yeah. record. But this song, um, I mean, I, I hear like a very contemporary vibe about it, but it's almost like I could see people who like like the hives or some like power punk type stuff digging yeah. this track. It's got a real attitude and a real youthful vibe about it. Um, I just really, really like the track. And I want to let's start with this track. How, how did uh, how did this come about? Who wrote the song? How did the song come about? Uh, I, wrote, I wrote the song. Nice. Um, I wrote it. It was a. <clears throat> It was a, a thing I've you know tattoos. I always had a laugh at, and in, in Britain, it's much much more than even as in America. These guys, if you want to describe someone in Britain, if there's something happens and they say, "Can you give me a description?" Right. It's because you want the guy to stand out. You say he doesn't have any tattoos, then he right. will really stand out because yeah. everybody, they're all the all the young kids are all tattooed, and I've always you know you always keep wondering, oh dear, you know <laughs> what's yeah. that going to be like later. But you're great. I remember the late, great George Carlin one time. I was a big fan of him. And I remember one time he described him as a, as a, permanent, a permanent reminder of a temporary feeling. And I, remember, and I remember that line. I thought, I've got to get that line into a song someplace, you know. And I just, I've always loved that. that, 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 that. It describes it perfectly. Right. So I was, messing, I was messing about with that. And then I thought about the tattoos. And I thought, well... Where is it you can't get rid of a tattoo if it's tattooed in your brain, you know? So that was the, the whole the sort of idea. The heart, actually, the track's supposed to be quite light-hearted. It is a sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, thing. I, think, I wanted to make a, a, kind of wee, a kind of punk sort of feel to the thing, you know? Right. And, and, and to make it really quite cheeky is the kind of word I think we would say, you know? It's a sort of a cheeky track, that kind of thing. And you know, quite quite jovial, I guess. You know, that's that was the whole idea behind it, anyway. I think the the lyrics are are, are fairly are, they're quite funny, but they're still they're still pointed. You know, I think I'm, I'm quite I'm quite pleased with us. Yeah, I'm man. Very, I mean, it very, is very, it very is happy uh, with it. yeah, it's an explosive song. I mean, and and I totally am with you on the tongue and cheek stuff, which definitely comes across in the video too, which yeah. is a, a fun watch. Um, but the the album it's a, it's a diverse record. I mean, I, I hear you know the opening track is um never well, that's never dance with the devil. That's that's yeah. very much what I'd expect from from Nazareth. But you know we we get a very uh, you know, and then you have Rubik's Romance. There's almost a southern rock vibe to that. So there's yeah. definitely mm -hmm. a lot of different influences that I'm hearing on this record. And do you listen to all different styles of music? What 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 do you listen to when you're oh, uh, everything? I mean, everything. everything. I mean, the I bet the only kind of music that I don't listen to is heavy rock. Really? <laughs> wow. I mean, personally, I mean, that's me. But I mean, I've 
I've always been like that. So, you know, for instance, like, well, uh, Rubik's Romance, I wrote that one as well. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's so the difference between that and Tattooed in My Brain, and I wrote uh, You Call Me, which is the last song. And again, that's a kind of different thing. So these are, the, that's my, you know, the influences I've had, I've, all the all the stuff I've been listening to all my life, you know, there's 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 not one sort of genre I could ever say. Oh, that's that's what I like. You know, I like, I suppose I like songwriters that, that are more, you know, and the performers, songwriting performers. But um, all the guys write on this album, and that's why it's diverse, obviously. And you've got um, different styles for different guys. I mean, I know their kind of styles, so I can I can sort of. I would recognise them, you know, because I know how the guys kind of write. Where other people, well, they don't really, you know, because, well, they don't see these guys every day. But for instance, that that opening track, as you're saying, that's that's Carol, and he's Carol wrote that one, and as he did another four on the album, and he's 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 very much into the he's, he's the you know the, or he he likes he likes metal, you know, he likes heavy metal, you know, and the, so that you know a lot of it, he's got a lot of influence from that. And Jimmy, you know, he did uh, well, like Paul to Paul, and uh, and and he did that one, and Lee did, uh, uh, you know, the secret is out. And Jimmy and Lee wrote Push together, you know. So you know they kind of they merge their kind of styles together there. Um, so that, the the reason that sounds so diverse is because it's all different people pulling from all all the the the, the things that they have been influenced by, you know. Right on, right on. And of course, guys, we are talking with Pete from the legendary band Nazareth, who again have a new album that is about to drop on October 12th, Tattoo on My Brain. Great stuff. I, I truly am enjoying the record, and I can't wait for our listeners to to check it out. Um, uh, we're, look, we're looking forward to it coming out as well. Definitely. We're very, very much looking forward to this one. Yeah, yeah it is It is a great one. and. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, the guys in the band, Carl, who I guess has been with the band uh, a, a number of years now, but not not too many compared to everyone else. Where, where well, did you guys connect with Carl? That's his first album. He's been with us for just over three years because Dan had to retire, you know, due to health problems, you know. So, right. Um, and, of course, um, we, 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 we were looking for someone else, but we didn't want somebody, you know, what. It was difficult because uh, if we decided that we were going to continue, we didn't want to continue with somebody that was sort of were trying to sound like Dan. You know that would have been a big mistake, and you know you, you can't. You know it just doesn't work, and and you'd be drawing comparisons, and it wouldn't. We wouldn't have liked that, and it wouldn't. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have worked. So when we were we, we were kind of desperate looking for people, never really found anybody to fit the bill. And it was a friend of ours uh, actually said, "You should have a listen to this guy." So this Carol sentence. So. Did had a look at on a YouTube actually <laughs> to check ch- check him out and uh, saw right. him in this uh, it was a classic rock show that he was doing round it was touring round about Britain at the time and I saw him in that and I thought this guy's a great singer uh, but he's got his you know he's got his own style so yeah we got him up for an audition and by the time he got halfway through the first song we said yeah the job's yours you know he was he just he was tremendous and he fits the bill because he he's a fabulous singer. He's very, um, he's, he's very dramatic, uh, and he's, he's uh, and he's live, at, you know, his presentation. He's a very, very good singer, and he doesn't sound like Dan, and he doesn't want to sound like Dan. You know, he sings his, the songs, he sings even the old dance of the song his way. You know, so it's given the right band, on. it's kind of re- rejuvenated the band. You know, I think everybody that's seen us live 
would agree with that. I mean, because he's, he's, you know, we thought he could have had a hard time being the new guy coming in after a guy that's kind of iconic, you know. And uh, but it, it worked for him, you know. The 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 fans, our fans, really took to the guy. Well, you know, I think not not them all. You'll never please all the people all the time, obviously. But yeah. the the vast majority of them have, you know. So we're we're very very happy, and he's very happy. Cool. Yeah. And uh, again, really enjoying the record. We are talking with Pete from Nazareth. The record tattooed on my brain is just about to come out. And you guys will be, it looks like touring through parts of Europe, Germany, right? And some other places starting in November. Yeah, we've got the, we're starting the 8th of the 9th, I think it is, in November right through to about the 10th of December. So we've got, um, oh no, 16th of December, so. It's quite a long tour, but we usually do a fairly sizable European tour every year, you know, because they're, uh, you know, it looks like big lump, one big lump to you guys over there, but there's a lot of different countries in there. Oh, yeah. There's a lot, to, oh, yeah. a lot of different places to get round. But it's mainly Germany, Austria, Switzerland. I think there's a, you know, there's a couple. There's one up in, I think up in, oh, one in Sweden or something. But I don't know. But right, right. anyway, well, it's going, it's going to be a busy, it's going to be a busy one again. I think we've got about twenty six shows or something. Very nice. And any chance you could make it over to the states? You think you could well, get over this way? Uh, it would be nice, you know, because we do we do a Canadian tour every year. We just came back. We just did uh, we did about uh, almost a month up there, and and we just came back just a, a couple of weeks ago, three three weeks ago. And in America, we haven't we, we haven't toured the the states for a while. I mean, it's been a lot of years, you know. It's um it's difficult getting the sort of right kind of venues for you know you, you're not big enough to do the arenas anymore, you know, and. Uh, We've no, you know, you're not going to be going around doing bars, you know, so that it's getting the in-between things to play. It's difficult getting tours together these days for the bands from the 70s kind of bands, you know what I mean? That's, uh, so we're, we're looking, we're, we are looking at things. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff's happening in the casinos now, you know, where right, I see it, right. and there's more and more of them sprouting up all over America. And that seems to be the place a lot of people are playing. So who knows? You know, we're, we're coming over. We do the, the Rock Legends tour. We're doing that again uh, out of Florida. But wow. I mean, that's not that's not in America. That's just that's just landing there. Right, <laughs> right, okay. Floating away again. But we're, we're hoping to get some shows there next year, you know. That would be great. I mean, you know, there's yeah. been a lot of these package deals that I've seen, you know, like I just saw Judas That's Priest and Deep Purple playing yeah. together, which was great, you know, to see both of those bands on the same stage. Um, yeah. I, you guys would fit in great on a package like That's that. That's the kind of thing. We used to do, I mean, we used to do a lot in the old, the old days. We used to tour a lot with Ted. It was Ted and us, we used to do kind of flip-flop thing, Blue Oyster Cop. Uh, these guys, we did quite a lot of stuff with, with them touring around, but um, and well, even further back with Aerosmith, but that was a long, long time ago. Right but, uh, but we used to do quite a few, but nowadays the package, they've got to do the package thing now, you know, because the, the one band isn't enough, you know, to, to, to do any sizable place. You need two or three, you know, on the, on the bill to get the, to get the people in. Yeah. I'd be quite happy. I'd go I'm going to package with anybody. Uh, as long as it's not someone like the Stones, you know, where right. everybody's just going to ignore you. Right, <laughs> like, right. Where right. they're just waiting for you to get off. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, we're looking, we are looking, that's all I can say. Okay, cool. Well, uh, you know, 
your history is is just uh, amazing. There's there's so much of it, but you know I mentioned Judas Priest earlier, and I'm uh, reading this book by K.K. Downing right now, where he talks a little bit about Roger Glover producing some Judas Priest stuff, and and you guys worked with with Roger Glover from Deep Purple too on a number of records back in the day. Any memories you could share of working with with Roger? Was that a good experience, bad experience? Anything you remember oh, about it? Roger was a gas. We did the three albums with him. It was him. Him actually broke the band with his production and. And it was him. It was us that really got him into the production big time because up until then, he'd done Elf, which was uh, well Ronnie Dio used to be in Elf. That was sure. the band that eventually. Um, and he'd done you know a couple a couple of things like that. But he'd never you know his his his, his breakthrough was when he got the hits when when Razzle and Naz, loud and proud when Nazar and then everybody you know wanted to. Wanted to use him. We're still great friends. He's a, he's a lovely man, and uh, and it was a great the, the whole recording experience we got Roger was was a lot of fun. And at the time, he'd recorded far more records than us, so he had a lot of recording experience. You know, he he, he knew how to use the studio, uh, which as we by the time he came along, it was just like our third album. We were still, you know, uh, kind of. Not not the best in the studio, you know. You were still getting developing, if you like, and he he brought it all to us, and and we learned a lot from Roger, and uh, right. and and I, I like to think that he learned a bit from us as well. Right, yeah, of course. And and you know what? Another producer, I just wanted to briefly ask you about, which I thought was interesting. You worked with. I'm not sure what year it was, but uh, but Jeff uh, Jeff Baxter from the Doobie Brothers did some Jeff, production work, right? Yeah, we worked with Jeff. We did uh, we did two albums with him, and again, it, that was a completely different kind of production. You call well, it was an American production, as right. opposed to a guy that came from a a British heavy rock band to a guy that was uh, well, the Doobie Brothers and, and Steely Dan. You know, you couldn't get anything more opposite, if you like. Yeah. But we enjoyed my work. I enjoyed working with Jeff as well. It was a it's another another great guy, right? Great character, but uh, again, learned an awful lot from. And I think that's when you, you you when you get in the studio, if you get you get good, good producer, you know, you you can learn things from them. You know, while you're doing, it. you say, oh yeah, 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 I've never thought about that. Yeah, that's the way to do that. So we got on great with him. I mean, even long before before the two of them, uh, we, we our second album was Roy Baker, who became the famous Roy Thomas Baker that did Queen. Wow. He did all the Queen albums, I mean, and Roy was was just a lowly engineer when he at Trident Studio when he he engineered our first album, and then he he was he asked to produce our second album. And while he was producing us, it was funny because we were doing this, and he says, "Yeah, I'm working with this band called uh, Queen." And we said, "Oh, you know." So we never knew them. Nobody, you know, we never right. knew who they were or anything. I thought, "Oh well, I hope they do well." Well, they did do that. <laughs> <laughs> So I've had some really good producers, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about the new record? Did you work with a producer on uh, Tattoo well, on My Brain? Right. Yeah. No, we, we found our man, like Jan Jan Rulier, is a Swiss young Swiss guy, and we've done the last four albums with him. Though I wouldn't, I, 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 and I'll do the next one with him as well. Oh, we nice. did. Um, we did the last three, and we did this one, and uh, we just we clicked. We just really clicked. He's a he's a great producer. He's a lot younger than us, which is handy because you you, you need that these days. Um, and uh, he's very very smart in the studio, but he's a he's a good musician as well. He's a great drummer. He's a good guitar player. He's a wonderful singer. He's a, he's a very talented man. 
and is and he made a good and again he's done and he knows he, he enjoys working with Nazareth because he likes the diversity. He did the news album, he did Big Dogs, and he did uh, Rock and Roll Telephone. And they were all different, all right. completely different records, and of course this one as well. So he enjoys the the way that we that we write and the, you know and the stuff that we do, and and he just he he, he he enjoys the production going you know oh this is going to be completely different from the song before he likes that you know, and I think that's uh, and and we, we, we and he's great company so he's one of these people that you know when we're in the studio everybody's very very relaxed around, around him, and he listens to what you've got to say but every and everybody listens to what he's got to say as well you know. Very cool. And one of the biggest songs for the band, of course, was was Love Hurts, which was a, a cover you guys did of the mm-hmm. Everly Brothers song. Any? Uh, did you ever get any feedback from the Everly Brothers on your version of their song? Did they ever... I mean, I'm sure they heard it, but did they ever contact you? Oh, you ever... I, would, I would imagine, unless you were living in a cave up in the, the Himalayas, you'd have heard Nazareth yeah. Love Hurts at some point. Yeah. Um, no, uh, what we what we did was uh, with Bordel O'Brien, who wrote it and wrote a lot of the Everly Brothers stuff. We got feedback from him. He came to see us when we played in LA, saying, "Would you like to cover any more of my songs?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nice. But, uh, but um, now, when we when we actually did Love Hurts, the version that we used to listen to, the the, the our, our favorite version of the thing, was uh, Graham Parsons and Emily Harris. Ah, okay. uh, we, we we used to play that. That was on the Grievous Angel album, the Grand, uh, Grand Parsons album. And it was one of these things we used to play in the van. The same as like the, when we did Johnny Mitchell, This Flight Tonight. It was the music that we were listening to when we were driving through the night in Europe when we were all bundled up in our van in the winter time. And it was one of these songs we just we just liked. We decided we would do it as a B-side. Um, when we were doing Hair of the Dog, the album, and we thought we'd, you know, instead of stripping all the, the things off your album, when you used to do an A side, it came out, they'd always take another record off your album, stick it in the B side. It was stupid, you know, you were throwing away the album. So then bands started doing separate B sides so they didn't strip the albums, you know. And um, so we, would, we did that one. And we just, we, were, we never thought of it as being a big single or anything. And in fact, on, and on Hair of the Dog, on the album, um, Love Hurts is only on the American copy. It's not oh, throughout wow. the rest. Okay. Of, throughout the rest of the world, it was uh, Randy so, Newman's Guilty that was on there. Right, right. So, so I've, it was only meant to be that B side, and then it just became such a big hit that when the album came uh, out in America, you threw it on the album too. Well, what the happened American is that, the, the, what happened is that, no, it wasn't a hit. What happened is that Jerry Moss at ENM Records, when he had Love Hurts, he gave it to him as a B side. He went, oh no, 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 this is going on the album. Ah, so okay. when 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 America they they put the album out with that on it, and uh, Europe and the rest of the world put the other one out. And uh, good to remember, the album was out for a good six months before that was a hit. The, the, I mean, it, it got released, but it did nothing. And then it just was one of these ones that was a creeper. It got played in a wee radio station in Texas, and it spread from there. And it became, and then it became a hit all over the world. You know, it was about, by the time it was a, by the time it was a hit in Europe, it was about a year after the album where it was actually released. You know. Wow. Wow. Okay. And of course, you're talking about the Hair of the Dog album, and mm-hmm. many years after the album came out, Guns N' Roses had a pretty big hit again with that with that song. What were your thoughts when when Guns N' Roses covered the song? <laughs> did you dig the version they did of it? Or I was always oh, yeah. weird. I love Guns N' Roses, but for me, I, having heard your version of the song for so many years before, it was always I don't know. It was a, a tough sell for me. I, I just preferred well, the original. You know. 
I think I think that it was it was uh, I think it was a good cover, but I mean it was a cover cover. You you know you know anytime we've said when you're going to cover a record, I'm going to cover a song, you've got to make it yours. You know we've covered some songs, but they sound absolutely nothing like the original. You know. Whereas I think that was pretty much it sounded pretty much like Nazareth on a different vocal, <laughs> I yeah. guess you yeah. know. But I mean, it was good. It was good. The, the guys were always friends, you know, and uh, we didn't know they were going to do it one day. You know, we always knew that they were going to cover it at some point, um, and and it was a fair fair enough version. I'm um, I'm I'm glad they did it. I'd rather they pick my song than somebody else's. <laughs> right on, right on, cool. Well, Pete, it's been uh, great chatting with you today, and we we wish you the best of luck with this great sounding new record. And we hope Thanks, all the, the listeners check it out. And we hope you get over here to the states uh, for a proper tour. We'd love to see you. I hope so. I hope so. Well, you take it easy. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a great Cheers. afternoon. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Take a ride on the wild side. Where the sun goes down Gotta jump on a freight train Gotta hit this town Shut down Hope got you with a six gun There's blood on my hands Been rider in a sandstorm At the crossroads dusty way for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate it, Pete. And, you know, that song and so many other great songs can be found on YouTube Music, which is a brand new music streaming service. Combining everything you'd expect from a streaming service with the magic of YouTube, 
to bring it all to life. We found ourselves down a rabbit hole on YouTube. You know, there's so much music to discover there. You can sp- spend hours, literally hours, exploring new songs and artists. And now there's an app to make it all so much easier. YouTube Music makes it easy to find your music you're looking for. Official albums, singles, music videos, live performances, even covers and remixes. Don't know the song's name? You can search by the lyrics. I love that. That's so that's so amazing. I mean, how easy is that? And that happens to me all the time. Like, I, I hear the lyrics in my head, but I can't remember who sings the song. So, I, yeah, YouTube Music. I love this feature. The YouTube Music app gives you recommendations based on your taste, location, and time of day. You can easily find the music trending around you, no matter where you are. And with YouTube Music Premium, it's even better. Get ad-free music that plays with the screen off or while using other apps. Enjoy your music whenever you want and wherever you want, even offline. Download the new YouTube Music app today and start a free 30-day trial. You can't go wrong with this. You know, If you don't like it after 30 days, you can stop, but I personally think you're going to love it. And then it's just $9.99 a month after that. Terms and restrictions apply. YouTube Music, it's all here. Cool. Definitely check them out. They are doing a great job with supporting us here on Talking Metal, and I appreciate their sponsorship. Let's get into another legendary band. We are rocking the classic rock here today on Talking Metal. This is Living the Dream by Uriah Heep, new Uriah Heep, and then we will talk with founding member Mick Box after that. I got the sun and the moon on the one hand Rise to the future, it's there to discover On the ground 
Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and what an honor to talk to Mick from Uriah Heap again. Mick, it's been a while, 10 years since our last interview, almost to the day. It was, uh, I think, October 2008, the last time I spoke with you. So, uh, well, been, well, been, well, Mark, what a great memory you got, my friend. <laughs> yeah, been far too long, been far too long. Yes, it has. But good to be here now. Yeah, I'm so glad to catch up with you. And the new record, Living the Dream by Uriah Heep, sounding just fantastic, strong. Uh, the, the music is just great. Love the songwriting and the passion that I'm hearing off the record. And it's interesting because I was you know, going back to 2008, the last time I spoke with you, which I'm trying to remember that was the uh, Wake the Sleeper record, I believe. And that had been like your first record in 10 years at that point, back in 2008. That's right, yeah. But here we are in 2018, and I mean, Uriah Heep is busy as ever. I mean, you guys have been putting out records every, every few years. There seems to be a real, like, something going on with you guys creatively. A lot of input, or output, I should say, coming out of out of you and and the band. What has inspired you so much this, this past decade to just keep creating such uh, great new music? I think we've got, you know, the essence of a real band, you know, we, we go out and play, you know, upwards of 120, 150 shows a year in, in, in 61 countries. Um, you know, um, we, we enjoy each other's company. We enjoy writing stuff together. We love playing as a band together. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a great place to be in your eye heap, you know, because, uh, um, it, as you say, it's very creative and, uh, Time for a new album? Yes, let's get all the ideas together and, and, and pretty much we write it really quickly. And like this particular album we recorded in 19 days wow. under the stewardship of um, Jay Rustin, our producer. Right. And that's basically because, you know, we recorded like a band in the studio, all sitting in the one room, jamming it out, you know. And um, and then when you get the one take you like, um, you know, you've got most of the instruments on it straight away, so it moves all very quickly. And I think that's that's something that I really enjoyed in the recording process. I don't think I could ever have the situation where it's two weeks just to get a snare sound or something like that, you know. I'd end up in A&E in a hospital somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Right <laughs> you on. Know, I, don't think that was, I don't think that's what the band's all about, you know, the band, you know, the, capturing the band live, um, playing, and and um, all in one pulse, I think, is what it's all, all about, really. That's where you get the hair stand up in your arms and, and the chills down your spine when you hear the music, I think. Right on. And this is your 25th studio album, which is just, just incredible. And congratulations on that. And Thank you, my friend. How much of, of the band's legacy, which, which is a, a 
rich and I would say heavy legacy hangs over your head when you go into the studio and you start working on on new music. Does the does the past come into play, or are you kind of uh, just in the here and now, doing what you do? Yeah, it's more here and now than than, than worrying about the past because. Um, you know, yes, there is a rich le- legacy there, but you know, um, you can't let it drag you down either. Um, so, I think we we just uh, basically what we do is write fresh songs and give it the heap treatment, and it becomes your heap very quickly. Right. You know, once once we get a song that you know is is in the pocket for heap, and then we we apply the Hammond organ, wah wah guitar, and five lead vocals. You know, we've got five vocalists, so we've got a lot of harmony work on there. Once you do that, you know, it becomes very heapized very quickly. So, um, you know, we have ne- ne- never any fear of that. We never look too far back, although we're very proud of our history. You know, we've, sure. we've already established a template of what we're going to sound like. So it's just a matter of applying that to, as I say, new songs. Right on, right on. And, you know, to kind of venture back a little bit into the past, uh, the last time I, I spoke with you again, a decade ago, you had uh, Trevor Boulder on bass with you, and he has since since passed on. And and you know, man, what a, a guy that you don't really hear a lot about. But when you look at the 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 work he did with Uriah Heep, with David Bowie, I mean, he played on some of those just iconic David Bowie records. Some oh, some of the great stuff, stuff yeah. that you did. I uh, Wishbone Ash for a short while as well. Yeah. Yeah. Any any memories you can share of of Trevor? Because I I, I feel I just feel like there there isn't enough uh, people talking about what. Uh, just iconic rock and roll bassist yeah, I mean, he I was. Just, one of those guys that um, is the most lovely guy on, on earth, you know, is, and is a, a talented a vocalist, writer, bass player, and, and you know, it's just an all, all-round good guy. Um, but he's one of those guys that's is usually the quiet one, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't um, shout it from the rooftops, if you know what I mean. Uh, he quietly gets on with the job, and he's quite ha- happy and content with that. And it's, just, it's in his makeup, really. Um, but you know, when you look back at all the all the the great songs he's played on, it's just absolutely amazing, you know. Yeah. And um, and and it's, it's great that someone like you will will pay attention to that, you know, because he really deserves it. Absolutely. And the band that you have now, I mean, this you guys. Let's see. I mean, Bernie has been with the band what, like over two decades. Russell, nineteen eighty six. Yeah. Oh my God, like three decades. Yeah. So Russell, he's been there uh, at least been a decade. About Twelve years now. Twelve years. Yeah. So this is this is. I mean, this is really. Uh, a band that you guys are really seems to be vibing well. Everyone gets along. How, how do how do the how do you keep these relationships going? Because there's so many bands out there nowadays where every time they put out a new record, it's a bunch of different guys on the record. What makes the relationships so strong? Not only musically between you guys, but the personalities. Uh, are are you I'm friends outside of the band? Yes, it's a couple of things really. You know, we 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 we're we're a family away from our family, so you know we get on really well together. You know, and I always say working bands are happy band. With the amount of shows that your eye heap do every year, you know, we're always smiling, you know. And also, um, the first thing I always tell everyone to pack before we go on tours in their suitcases, their sense of humour. And right. uh, we've got a great sense of humour on the band, you know, and a lot of banter goes down, you know. So, yeah, we have a great time together. And um, I think that's all important. And then we take that on stage with us and people can see that um, shining through, if you like, in our music and our performance. And the passion that we have for what we do. And um, I think that's that's where it scores with the audience, and we communicate um, very well in that regard. 
Awesome. And, you know, there's a lot of historians that when they point to kind of the the foundation of, of hard rock music and even what became heavy metal music, we hear... Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and Uriah Heep. Is that something you feel comfortable with, being known as one of the the four founders of hard rock and heavy metal? Do you agree with that that statement? Well, I I think um, certainly in the UK, um, you know, they're the four big bands that came out uh, around the same time. And, um, you know, it was quite rebellious because it was coming from the late 60s where music was where people were in suits and doing little dance moves and playing through little 30-watt amps, you know, and it was all very polite and nice and, and comfortable. <laughs> and then we came along, um, the, those particular four bands with the long hair, you know, the, the rebelliousness, the, 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 the bigger the amps, the bigger the speakers, you know. But but little did we know as we were, we were forging our way through our individual careers that we were actually writing the book at the time. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but it's only when you look back that you realize that that was actually happening, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that we came out and, and, and did that, you know, because it shook the world up a bit, um, certainly in the music um, the music world. And, um, you know, what great music came out. And, and, and the proof of the pudding really is, is it stood the test of time, you know. It's still here today and still people still love hearing it in the live yeah. arena. Absolutely. And when you and look... in their homes. Oh, absolutely, definitely. And when you look back at that time, uh, you know the the mid '60s when you when you were an impressionable youth. What were some of the sounds that you heard that maybe played into the 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 pot? Helped you create the recipe for Uriah Heap? Were there certain bands you pulled from, or certain sounds that made you say, "Hey, I I, I need to try," you know, that distortion sound, or I need to try that type of thing with uh, with songwriting? Yeah, I think I think in the early days, when I was, as a guitarist, I mean, I was into jazz stuff, and Django Reinhardt, Les Paul, Mary Ford, Tail Farlow, Barney Kessel, you know, um, Wes Montgomery, and all that side of things. And then I kind of kind of grew into um, the songwriting of, say, Buddy Holly and Eddie Cochran. Right. Um, and then I kind of grew from there into... Um, like Jeff Beck and people like you know the Jeff Beck group. I mean, one of my two favorite albums are Truth and uh, Beckola from Jeff Beck with with Rod Stewart singing. You know, I don't think sure. Rod Stewart ever sang better than on those two albums. Um, so it kind of it kind of grew as a gradual process into the rock rock world. But I mean, if um, if we bought anything to, to shape your eye, because your eye. Uh, we went into the studio as a band called Spice as a four piece, mm-hmm. and we started recording our music. And we and it was coming back out the speakers, and we were loving what we had, we were hearing. But we we felt that we we could enhance it with um, some keyboards. And the keyboard of choice was the Hammond organ because I was a big Vanilla Fudge fan, and what Mark Stein was doing on the keyboards was marvelous. And so um, you know that was the inspiration for us to get the the, the organ into Uriah Heap, basically the Hammond organ. Uh, because the hammered organ is a great instrument. It's very versatile. It can be very, very romantic, very loud, very aggressive. It can be, you know, every every nuance of music we could write, it, it would fit in there somewhere. So um, that was our choice. And of course, you know, within the fudge, we're doing some great stuff at the time. Right. And they're still one of my favourite bands, you know. And um, I'm often mailing Mark, Mark Stein even now saying, well, we're still at it, mate, and it sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's really cool. That's, that's probably the... Um, we leaned a bit heavily on them, uh, certainly from the Hammond organ side of it. 
And as far as the English bands go, though, some of the ones that we 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 named like Deep Purple and Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, was there a rivalry among you guys? Were you guys mates? Were you were you close we, at we all with kind, the other? We were kind of all mates, you know. I, I, I think um, I don't think you could call it if there was any rivalry, it was healthy, you know. Yeah, and there was there was nothing um, horrible about it at all, you know. I think what it what it was in those days, and I have to say that um, well, I have to mention the Who and the band called the Move and stuff. That, sure. That, that, that Buddy Holly period. That's where I kind of um, I got into all the stuff again. Um, but anyway, talking about those bands, I mean, the important thing to me was each band was individual in 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 the with each individual musician. For instance, I didn't play like Richie Blackmore, Richie didn't play like, like Tony Iommi. You know, every one of the guitarists were individual, the bass players were individual, the drummers were individual, keyboard players were individual, and the vocalists were individual. And it's just some of those parts that gave each band its particular sound. And um, and I think that's what's so great about that particular time when bands came out. It did sound individual, and, and, and it was the, some of those parts that that gave each band its flavor. I don't think it's quite the same today. I think there's a lot of sameness going on. Right, right. And we, of course, are talking with the legendary Mick Box of Uriah Heep, who have their 25th album out, Unbelievable, and it sounds so fresh, so good. Uh, I mean, and you guys are this far into your your career, and it's just, uh, it still sounds just not stale at all. So such a great listen. We encourage all the Talking Metal listeners to check out Living the Dream. You mentioned Jay Rustin involved, who's worked with all sorts of bands from Anthrax to Stone Sour, and, and now another great album by Jay Rustin, the Living the Dream record, Uriah Heep. Mick, always a pleasure to talk to you. One last question. Thank you, my friend. You know, there's been some rumblings in the press, and we've seen this with a lot of a lot of bands where where they continue on without original members in place anymore. Could you imagine Uriah Heep ever continuing on without without you? I mean, it's been your thing, you know, for for many many decades. And is is how would you feel about that? Is that something you'd encourage or not? Um, well, I, I I own the name, so it's, it's you know there's that side of it, I guess. There's a business side and and uh, um, another decision as to whether the music should live on. I mean, I mean, my, I mean, in my heart, the music should live on, and if people still would like to hear it played with another guitarist in place, then probably fair play. Um, but you know, I I can't decide. I wouldn't be able to decide. They would. I wouldn't be here to decide it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. So I mean, I mean, if they carried on, then then at least I'd know that the music would be living on, and I think that's, and that's one of the inspirations I've had over the years with the, with the people that we've lost within the band. You know, with David Byron and Gary Thane and Trevor Boulder and John Wenton, was that by keeping the band going, it gives all these musicians great access to their great playing that's still there. And by me keeping the band's name alive, you know, uh, the music is is there to the forefront rather than just disappearing into the ether. So. Um, it's it's um it's a school of thought that I haven't really thought about because I'm going nowhere, my friend. Right, right. <laughs> I never think of those things, you know. But you know, when the time comes, who knows? Um, I think the decision may be made to continue on, and if it does, then then fantastic, you know. Because I think I think the music will live on forever anyway. So I'm really pl- proud about that. It absolutely will. And the music again on this new record, "Living the Dream" by Uriah Heep. It is great stuff. We're going to hear some of it in just a minute here on Talking Metal. And uh, Mick, just one last thing before we let you go: the immediate plans for you and the band in in the upcoming months. 
Well, we've just come back from the Faroe Islands doing a show, which is an island just off of Denmark. Um, we're home for a couple of weeks before we start going to rehearsals for a week. Then on the 23rd of October, we start in Budapest in Hungary for a European tour that lasts two months up to Christmas. Then we have a Christmas and the first two weeks of January off. Then we start up and pick up and do the rest of the European tour from uh, mid-Jan on up to March. And then March, we go to Japan. Then we've got all the festivals um, that we do all through Europe. And then... um, we're hoping to come back to America yeah, uh, because, be you great. know, we, we early the year, we did a 10 week tour for America and Canada that was so successful with lots of sellouts and, and great reactions. And we just can't wait to come back out there and play to all our American fans and play, obviously, a lot of the uh, Living the Dream tracks, along with always the classic tracks, too. Of course, of course. Man, you never stop. You're you're so busy, and uh, we love it. We love it. We we want you back in America, Mick, so please oh, try to... Be back, but, but be rest assured, we have an American agent, American management, we're going to be there. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I'd love to come say hi when you're here. Maybe we can have a, a, a pint and uh, a toast, man, to the great... Uriah Heap. Mick, thank Thanks, you Mark, very Mark. much. Thanks for your support, Mark. Thanks a lot, mate. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.
Too Scared to Run by Uriah Heep. I love that. I mean, you can hear... Go back and listen to Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, and you can hear similarities, especially on that song, between what you hear on those two records. And that is because in 1982, Uriah Heep, at the same time, really, that Ozzy was doing his thing. I mean, what, Blizzard was 80... Diary was 81, so so this that song you just heard came out in 82, but that's Lee Kerslick and Bob Daisley on bass, so if you hear similarities between that rhythm section sound and the rhythm section sound on Blizzard and Diary, there's a good reason. It's the same two guys. <laughs> right on. Thank you for joining us, guys. Consider a Talking Metal t-shirt all sizes, medium through 3XL. Send me 20 bucks via PayPal. All this is listed in the show notes. You can find my my PayPal in the show notes. And the website is talkingrock.net or talkingmetal.com. And there's numerous ways you can support us, including uh, you know, including the, the, the purchase of a t-shirt and also including Amazon links and Patreon and all that good stuff. You guys are great. Please don't stop. I appreciate the support. The support is at an all-time high, guys, and wow, that's awesome. And speaking of support, Lance King, a great vocalist, has uh, has some new music coming out, and you can support him and contribute to what he's doing to get this music completed. He's going to tell us all about it. We'll start off with a song called Infinity Divine, and then we'll hear my interview with Lance King, and we will round out the show with some Manifest Destiny um, by Lance King and then some Lana Manifest Destiny by me I'll explain what I mean by that when I come back here we go
Hey, it's Mark Striegel on the Talking Metal Podcast, and we just heard Lance King, Infinity Divine, and we are joined right now on the line by Lance. Lance, how are you, man? I'm feeling great. <laughs> I'm a little charged up, had some coffee, and uh, was expecting your call. Cool. Where are you at? You're on the West Coast? Uh, I'm Central. Central. I'm in uh, Minnesota, and Minneapolis, the Twin Cities are Minneapolis and St. Paul. Cool. Well, I wanted to just uh, introduce the Talking Metal listeners to you because we had uh, one of our listeners had requested that we do an interview with you because I guess he's really into what you're doing. And I have to say, now that I've checked out your music, you, you got some some great stuff going on here. I love what you're doing with this upcoming record, the the message and the uh, I mean, it was very inspirational. So I want to talk about that. But but first, just f- can you fill us in a little bit on who you are and a little bit of your history? Uh, sure. Yeah. All right. So directly out of high school, I had some uh, friends. I mean, I'd played in bands before high school and had uh, had some friends that were looking for a singer and they asked me to to do it, we started playing, you know, crap holes, shit holes, <laughs> making about 150 right. bucks a night as a band in 1981, and that progressed on, and I did that for uh, on and off with a couple of different bands for about 10 years, and started making my own music uh, with bands around 89, and we recorded in, in 90, and got it out, and did it independently. We were shopped by major labels that, you know, would come and see us and see a cover band that played some originals, you know. So right. We and what was the name of this band? Office. That that was Gemini. There's a band called Gemini. And uh, we did that for quite a while and we're very successful in the area. We had some radio play. We got a little write up and metal edge and it kind of ballooned and we were getting calls from distributors in Europe and And I sort of parlayed that into a distribution company that uh, Nightmare Records that I started helping my friends, local musicians get their music overseas into other, you know, markets and expanding their kind of horizon. I thought, well, you know, this is kind of cool. This could kind of work hand in hand with what I'm doing as a musician. And uh, what it turned into is, you know, over time, it it certainly did. It washed the hands. I got lots of media people, friends, and lots of uh, distribution friends and, and just music um, people that I connected with through that. Uh, but it turned into Nightmare Records became kind of my main thing, you know, and I and even though I was doing, you know, I sang with Balance of Power, a British band we had albums uh, released internationally um, in pretty much every music market. And then I sang with a band called Pyramaze, pretty much the same thing. We were licensed all over the world and got to go and do tours with both of these bands. Still, Nightmare Records was my bread and butter. You know, it was where I was spending most of my time. Um, Anyway, so I'm able to record at home nowadays. I have a studio at home, so I can, I can, churn out songs really quickly it was sort of you know forced to do that because you know i I needed to keep the home base with my my label and everything and anyway i cultivated this kind of uh business model that uh, has worked out well for me 
Um, but it took me away from music and it was frustrating because I wanted to make more music. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, uh, this last album that I just made is, is pretty much, um, it's a solo album, but I find it an internet. It's an international effort with a lot of different musicians, um, that I've met over the years. And, and some of them I've had a chance to work with and some of as, as a label, but not as a musician. And some of them I've had the chance to work with on my last solo album as a musician, but previous to that hadn't. And it's kind of like a magic chemistry. It's crazy how cool it is to work with people like that. Um, so I'm I'm really enjoying the process, and it's uh, it's something that I want to do a lot more of. Cool. Well, let's mention NightmareRecords.com and also LanceKingVox.com. We'll have both those linked yep. to today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. And the the new record is let's is up on Pledge Music, right? So if people want to support what you're doing and get involved with the actual process of releasing this record. That's something they can do on pledge. And Absolutely. how would they find you on pledge? Just look up my name. If you go to pledge music and you do a search, you'll find my page immediately. It's uh, just an image of me and, and you know, it's kind of a celestial look of, or a, a deeply spiritual balancing act, if you will, of an image. And then, you know, that's kind of what my music is about. It's kind of finding a, a, a good balance spiritually and, and mentally and emotionally and uh, dealing with all of the, uh, the crap we, we get dealt in life, I guess. And that's, that's kind of what my lyrics are about. Um, struggles, you know, finding, finding a balance and, uh, and dealing and succeeding and forging through and being a happy person. That's kind of the, uh, the goal of the music. And in, in so helping myself, I'm trying to also help other people through that. And the first right. album was more, more about, uh, kind of, um, well, the whole intention behind that record was to heal, heal when listening to it. So it, it sounds strange, but it's dealing with issues and, and, uh, but there is that, um, intention built into the songs and even the key changes, um, uh, the sounds that you listen to and the lyrics, they all sort of embody that. And then this new album is more about, um, I don't know, uh, emotional struggles, I think is a better way of putting it. And, yeah, well, uh, you know, I saw the trailer. I saw the trailer that you put out for it and found it. Right. Not, and I'm not just kissing your ass here. I, I found it really powerful with the VO and and what you were saying. And I mean, it it, uh, it I think is there's some. It sounds like there's an important message in what you're doing. And and there's so much of like the BS that we, that we're, we're taught and we get from, uh, you know, our learning experiences as, as kids that, 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 that hang on to us as adults. And it's something that I've thought about a lot. Like, you know, as I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a guy in my, my forties now, and there's still things I do because I'm like, you know, influenced by what my parents or what my upbringing taught Absolutely. me as a kid. And I don't, I don't like it. You know, I hate, I hate, I like, right. you know, I, I don't, I want to break free of that. And it's a very difficult thing to do. And I, I really think you touched upon something that is, is something we all struggle with. 
I'm glad you re- it, that resonated with you, and I think it, it should resonate with pretty much anyone who has a thought about it because, you know, we are basically an organic computer in a lot of ways. Our, our subconscious mind, program, you know, it, it stores everything. It's way more powerful than our conscious mind is, and we have really no idea how much we are led by our, con- our unconscious mind, our subconscious um, it kind of keeps us doing the same things over and over again, whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing for us. And we learn everything throughout our course of our lives, or I should say everything that we've learned throughout the course of our lives plays a role in how we react and deal with things. And, uh, it's, <laughs> you know, from, from the isms of our parents to, you know, uh, church elders, um, the television, oh my God, you know, it's, it's a programming machine. It just programs us with all kinds of attitudes and, and, um, thoughts and, and various opinions that, you know, how much of that is fact-based. We believe, a lot of us believe everything we hear. We really do. We just echo it. You know, we don't really think right. about it too much. Um, especially when we're younger, because, you know, if if our parents tell us this is the way it is, that's that's what we believe. That's the way it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> we don't really question it and until we're adults. And, and then we start to question some things, of course, and we, we rebel against some things. And it's a natural process. But um, I'm just, I guess I'm stating that I experienced this dramatically with uh, a relationship that I had. And... Um, and, you know, I, I was wanting to break free of that because I wasn't really happy with uh, the things that I'd assimilated as my, my own thoughts. You know what I mean? I thought they were my own thoughts. They're not. You know, they right. were someone else's thoughts and they were just being echoed out through me. And but I had this feeling within me that was telling me that wasn't it, it's not right, you know. So there was this conflict within me. Similarly, you know, we're sort of led into what we think we should be doing as as a, a career path or a choice of work or whatever we want to do. And uh, we're just not happy. Right. Uh, it's because that we haven't really explored what our true passions are or found even ourselves as to who we really are. You know what I mean? We don't yeah. even know who we really are a lot of the time. So this is kind of a, this album is kind of an exploration of that for me. And, uh, and, and in so doing that kind of highlighting the process and, and so other people can kind of think about that idea and concept and, and, uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm superimpose you know, it into their own perspective. Yeah, right? it really did. It it hit me when I watched the trailer, which has this cool VO that then leads into the 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 music. Uh, and I will link that again through today's show notes on talkingmetal.com. dot com. Yeah. But you know, I wanted to ask you: do you do you follow like a, a certain certain type of uh, spiritual path? Are there speakers or? or groups or religions or, you know, or something that you relate to? I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I was brought up kind of in a new age family and I had, uh, spent quite a bit of time in the Christian church as well. And I've sort of assimilated, um, 
I guess a hybrid of a lot of different things. I believe cool. in, uh, I mean, I got to meet the Dalai Lama, a, a beautiful man who is, is, you know, the embodied love right now on the earth. And those are the kind of people that I, um, aspire to try to be like, and it's very difficult as everyone knows to be like that. Um, I try to, you know, incorporate those thoughts into my daily routine. Um, you know, I, I try to be an inspiration because I've done social media just because I know that everything that's echoed out in the universe from that is, uh, it affects people. I mean, I'm affected by all the negativity there. So I, you know, as I'm trying to find a balance myself and searching, you know, the interwebs or, or, um, a really cool, a series of information or a book, I'll see something that resonates with me and I'll push it out there and, and echo it out to, to the world via social media to see, you know, if it resonates with other people. And a lot of people find that really um, comforting at times. They'll see something and it just, it hits them in the right spot. And that's kind of, you know, my, my thing is that as I'm helping myself, I try to help others. Right on. Right on. And we encourage the Talking Metal listeners to help you with the Pledge Music campaign. Again, the uh, I think the message is just fantastic. I think the music sounds awesome. And Lance, we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for spending a little time much. with us and yeah. throwing yourself to us. Appreciate that. Yeah, check out the, the Pledge Music thing. And if you do become a member, there's, uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, reward bonuses but also with the updates i'm i'm releasing information and and things like uh the first lyric video that hasn't been released yet is released there and there's a lot of cool stuff in the updates that you can find um that nobody else has access to and uh you know you can find a reward or you can pledge five bucks to get an access pass or or add as much as you want to that um in support of the album and there's some really cool stuff there Cool, cool. Yeah. Thank you, Lance. Where's the best place to follow you on uh, social media? I'd say I'm more active on Facebook than anywhere else, but I have social medias linked for all of them. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, Google Plus, you know, you name it. I'm trying to be there if it's relevant and if it's not pretty much don't waste my time. (laughs) It's hard enough to keep up with everything. Cool. Cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll link yeah. some of your social media also through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. And a big thanks to you, Lance, That's for joining great. us. Excellent. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Just uh, remember Lance King Box, B-O-X, and you'll be able to find me out there. Perfect. Keep in touch, man. All right. Peace. Thanks. Bye.
Manifest Destiny by Lance King. You know, I, I played in a in bands for many years. I don't talk about them here. I, I don't know if they they were hard rock bands. They weren't really metal at all. We were kind of grungy, progressive, if you will. And I don't have a podcast to promote my own band because I think that's cheeseball. But every now and again, I'll slip one of my songs up in the mix. And I had a song called Manifest Destiny 2. We just heard Lance King's Manifest Destiny. This is Manifest Destiny by Captain T. That was my stage name back in the 90s and early 2000s when I was a wannabe rock star playing the New York City clubs. And really, I, we toured the East Coast with a band I was in called Hollywood Superstars. I had like three or four different bands. Some of them were with John Astronomy, who you guys know. Others were not. This one uh, was not with him. It's me on guitar and vocals, a guy named Chris Heaton on drums, Matt Pichel on, on bass. And this is uh, called Manifest Destiny by Captain T. When we played live, we went as the Captain T band. So uh, there's actually, I think on Spotify, a couple different versions of this. There's Manifest Destiny by Captain T. And then there's an earlier recording, which I think Spotify credits to the Captain T band of the same song, which some people like because it's a little rougher. I like this version better. It's off the Sinister Ambassador record by Captain T. It's myself on vocals and guitar, and it's called Manifest Destiny to take us out. Thanks to all our guests. Epic episode. Thanks to you guys for sticking with me to to this point in the show. Um, I always uh, appreciate your your time and your comments, and uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We've gotten some miserable reviews lately. I, I really could appreciate some good reviews. And it cracks me up because most of these people who leave bad reviews, you can figure out who they are. A lot of times they're like disgruntled people like Joe Becht or something who used to listen to the show and contribute. And, and for, I don't know what I did to piss that guy off, but I did something. I, I'm not, I really, I honestly don't know what I did to piss him off. But uh, he got mad at us for some reason and writes negative stuff about us online now. So there you go. But, um, yeah, if you're a good dude and you like this show, leave us a good review on iTunes. I appreciate it. This song is available on iTunes. It's Manifest Destiny by Captain T. Found its place Fun matters die with grace One more day to